finger there and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have given us a time to sing to you, a time to pray to you, a time to read from your word, a time to talk about the things that you are doing in and among us. And now you are giving us a time to learn from your word. So we ask that you would open our eyes to your truth, would open our hearts to the work of your spirit, and you open our minds to honor you with everything that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in in seminary, there's this thing that they teach us whenever you prepare a sermon. You're supposed to have this statement called a propositional statement, and some of you might even know what that is. It's essentially a summary of the sermon that includes the the purpose of the sermon. You're supposed to have one statement that gives you what the the sermon is going to be about. And that's kind of like one takeaway. Sometimes it takes really diligent study and prayer to actually draw out from God's word the summary of what the text is saying and the purpose of why is God saying this. Sometimes it takes a lot of work and studying and prayer to do that. However, There are times where it's so easy. It's right there in front of you. You don't have to work as hard. And the propositional statement for this passage that we will consider this morning is not only easy to to discover or to draw out from God's word, it's actually divinely inspired. We find that propositional statement in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. This is the purpose for which that this message is presented the whole entire book is so that you may know the certainty about the things you have been taught so easy it's low-hanging fruit i didn't have to work so hard i didn't have to pray too long to discover what god is wanting us to do so in this text that we would consider this morning i want you to see the reason for your certainty about what you have learned. I want you to see the reasons for your certainty about the things you have learned about this season, Christmas, right? Christmas is what? Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Why are you so certain about that? That's why I want us to consider this. I want you to see the reason for your certainty and knowing that this season is about Jesus. So with that in mind, let's read the text together. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. And this is the angel Gabriel talking. He's saying, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him 
the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. So as we're considering this text, let me ask us a few questions. Let me ask you a few questions. What gives you the certainty that this baby born to, a, to the Virgin Mary is the one you rest your life on? What gives you the certainty? Or another way to think about it is when you're asked, what is your certainty about your life? That this would not end when you die. That your life would continue on into eternity. What gives you certainty about that? And your answer would be Jesus, hopefully, right? So when you answer that question, what gives you certainty that it'd be enough? That Jesus is enough? How? Why? Because after all, he wasn't the only one coming to this world as a result of a supernatural intrusion that we talked about last week. He wasn't the first miracle baby. I mean, I can think of, just off the top of my head, I can think of Isaac. Right? You guys know the story. Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah. They were old. I mean, the reason that he's named Isaac is because Sarah was actually laughing. Like, what? What are you talking about? I'm going to get pregnant. Uh, he's old. I'm old. What are, you, what are you? Right? But supernaturally, she conceives. There's a supernatural intrusion. You can think of Joseph. You can think of Samson. You can think of Samuel. Just to name a few in the Old Testament. I mean, even in the immediate context of the text here in Luke, there's another baby who would, who would come as a result of divine intrusion or divine in, intervention, which is John the Baptist. Like verse 5 through 25 is the promise of the birth of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And that also was a result of divine intrusion. So... What makes this baby, Jesus, <laughs> so unique to the point that you would bet your life on? What is it about Jesus that you are, are you really, like what gives you the certainty to say, I am willing to bet my entire life, I'm willing to leave everything and cling to this Jesus because he will save me. Why are you so certain? Why can we, we be so certain that our lives are kept for eternity because of this divine declaration that we read this morning? So by God's help, I want to show you this morning two reasons in this passage that demonstrate the uniqueness of this divine declaration than any other one which will give you certainty about the account and the implications to your own life about Jesus. And the first reason that I want us to consider together 
is that Jesus is truly human. That we can be certain of this account of Christmas and the unique implications to our lives that Christmas has because Jesus was and is, in a sense, truly human. So consider that. Let's consider this um, the words of the angel Gabriel in verse 31. Behold, he says, this is the first divine declaration to the Virgin Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus. It's truly human because the declaration says what? that Mary, the virgin, would become pregnant. We're talking about a real pregnancy. Like being pregnant is a real human experience, isn't it? I mean, you can't doubt the fact that being pregnant is, a, is not a human experience because if no one got pregnant, this room would be empty. It's because our moms got pregnant that we are here, even. So the first declaration that tells us Jesus was truly human is the fact that he was conceived in a real pregnancy that is common to humanity. A real conception, by the way, in the womb. Like, I'm like when I was studying that, you will get pregnant in your womb. I'm like, where, where do people get pregnant like on their on their arm or something and never seen one of those i don't know i had half a mind to think that the lord was really seeing thousands of years ahead just just a thought for me maybe he was thinking about like um the the labs that create babies now right I think he might have been looking into that. But that's that's just a thought, just half a thought that came to mind. But I believe that he says you would conceive in your womb to actually emphasize the reality of the conception. Like he is truly human. This baby that you're going to conceive is going to be truly human. The conception in the womb is there to emphasize the location of the pregnancy. The location of the the conception. The conception was not ideal or philosophical. It's not about like this Jesus idea. It's not about this Jesus principle. It's not about this this ideological thing or a mythical thing that you kind of create in your own self. It's actually a true human being coming to earth the way other human beings come to earth. It wasn't a principle, but a real, truly human pregnancy. It was a declaration of a birth of a truly human baby. By the way, with a real gender, just as an aside. Look at what he says. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. That's a baby boy, a male. 
with a real gender, with, with a truly human gender, not any of those things that are fabricated in our times. It's one or the other, right? Much to say about that, but I will digress. Secondly, the baby, this truly human baby, would have a truly human name. Look at what he says. He will be great and he will be called the son of, um, I'm sorry, um, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. May I ask you a question? When you were born and your brother or sister or anybody else who's born, how do we know the difference between the two babies? I mean, yeah, there are actually two babies there, but we tell the difference by their names. Jesus was named. He would be assigned a name at birth, not a gender. Again, not to to that. He would be assigned a name. That is a truly human experience. When I was born, my mother looked at me and said, this is Emmanuel. You know me by Manny now. She didn't call me Manny. That's something that came down down the line. Right? When you were born, your mother looked at you or your father looked at you. Or, but even before you were born, they were like, yeah, we're having a boy. We're going to call him whatever your name is. We're having a girl. We're going to call her whatever. That's a real human experience, isn't it? It's not an ideological thing. It's a truly human experience and occurrence. And the reason that I'm harping on this, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back on this, is because this is an essential truth for us to consider and be certain about that Jesus was truly human, is truly human in a sense too. Because if we deny the humanity of Jesus, we really have no certainty about eternal life. If you for one second think that Jesus wasn't a real, truly human person that lived, you can't say with certainty that I would inherit eternal life when I die. In fact, it's really dangerous to do so, to deny the humanity of Jesus is really dangerous. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. By this, you know the Spirit of God. You want to know the Spirit of God? Here's how you know this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has, become, has come in the flesh is from God. Did you hear that? If you want to know the Spirit of God, acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is the first telltale sign. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from is, that does not confess Jesus, saying that he didn't come in the flesh, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So it's it's a dangerous thing to consider the truly human nature of Jesus was not real. And this is the divine declaration here. And listen to what John says in his second epistle, in 2 John, verses 7 and 8. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, 
those who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the reality of our life. This is what we are faced with. And this has real consequences in how we live our lives and how you actually live your Christian life. And we'll touch on that later. So he warns them, see to yourselves that you do not lose what we accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So in this post-postmodern world that we live in, where truth and reality and evidence and certainty aren't even considered to be uh, relative like you used to be back in the postmodern world. Now, if you talk about truth, reality, evidence, and certainty, you're actually enemy of the state. You're actually enemies. You're, th these things are rejected. Truth, get, get out of here with that. Reality, what are you talking about? I create my own reality. Evidence, I don't care about your evidence. I care about how I feel. Certainty, you can't know anything for certain. These things are rejected. Like They throw it right back out at us. So living in this age, we must stand firm in the truthfulness and the certainty that Jesus was really born in the flesh and is truly human, which has direct implications to your salvation. We'll touch on this, like I said, later. Still, now there's a question that still remains. You hear, okay, Jesus is truly human. He was born. All right. So what, Manny? Whoop-de-doo. Big deal. What's the big deal about Jesus being truly human? In fact, I'm sitting to, next to someone that is truly human myself. <laughs> I can touch them. I can talk to them. They can tell me jokes and I can laugh. I can give them a piece of gum. They're right there. Truly human. And so is Jesus. Okay. So what's the big deal? What makes him unique? Jesus wasn't only truly human. That's the second point that I want us to consider. Jesus is truly divine as well. That we can be certain of the account of Christmas and the unique implications to our lives that it has to our lives because Jesus is divine. Truly divine. He's truly human and truly divine. For that, I want us to consider in our text, again, the angel's declaration, this divine declaration, this supernatural declaration, the declaration that comes from heaven into earth about who Jesus is, about his nature regarding who Jesus is. Look down with me to verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. That is showing the, the humanity, as we discussed, of, of Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of Mo the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. This passage is packed with theological truth, where I can spend probably six to eight months just unpacking the, the, the truth that is in it, but I'm going to try to do this in 27 minutes. So I'm, I know I'm not going to get into the depth of and, and every nooks and crannies, every 
small detail that that needs to be considered. But let's see what the angel says about the truly divine nature of Jesus, which makes him unique. One, he says he will be great. In verse 32, he will be great. What does that mean? That Jesus and his nature will be unmatched. That he is out of the ordinary and he's extraordinary in who he is. He is in magnitude and importance. He's the most important thing. He's the, the, the strongest thing in strength and importance and, and measure and impact and effect and in influence. He will be unmatched. He will be unlike anybody else that you've ever met. He will be the most important person. He would have eternal strength. The impact that he would have on humanity would be unmatched, unlike anybody else. The influence that he would have on creation would be great. So he will be great in every measure. Any kind of measurement that you would have for greatness, right? Every, every, level, every, every level of greatness has its own measure, right? Like you would define the greatest actor by how many good movies they've made. Right? It's a different measure. You would define the greatest athlete in a specific sport by maybe how many touchdowns they've thrown or how many points they've scored or how many goals they've scored or how based on their performance. So in any measure, by any measure of your imagination, Jesus would be great. That's not to say there haven't been many other important people. There haven't been any other strong people or influential people that have ever existed, but Jesus would be unmatched. This is the divine declaration about this baby that is being promised to the Virgin Mary in our text that we see that Jesus would be unmatched in his greatness because he is divine. Look at, uh, listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He is, talking about Jesus, this the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, both in heavens, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, everything that you consider to have any kind of influence, or power, or strength, or, or greatness, all of those things were created both in heavens and on earth, Paul says, All things have been created through him and for him. He is that important. He is that strong. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you, do you hear the, the kind of... About whom have you ever heard anything like this? Have you heard uh, something like this about, I don't know, the greatest president of the United States? Or the greatest emperor in Roman times? The greatest man in history that you can think of? Or maybe the man in the mirror when you stand in front of it? 
This is describing the divinity of Jesus, the divine nature, the divine greatness of who Jesus is. Secondly, the angel says, not only he would be this great in magnitude and power and in strength and in influence, but he will also be called the son of the most high. That both in his relationship, that is to say in a relational sense, and in his essence, in his fabric, in his, for lack of a better term, in his DNA, in, in his form, the one whom Mary would conceive will reflect the quality of the Most High. That's what it means to be the, the Son. He would both express the Most High God relationally as Father to us. He would say, my father and your father. And he would, he would express him as, as, as relationally, as we relate with one another, as they would relate, as they know a knowledge of the father and the son. Imagine the, the knowledge there is between you and your father. It's a very intimate relationship there. That is only between you and your father. And it's an imperfect illustration. I get it. But you can follow that into perfection, if you will, and as much as your, your mind would allow you. So this baby that is being born would express relationally God to us as Father. And he would describe and express his divine nature in himself. Listen to what John says again in John chapter 1, verse 1. You guys know this? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, speaking relationally. And the word, the, the Greek word there, with God, is, is almost kind of like face-to-face, like this. Like, like literally in, in His face. That's what they use that, that Greek word for. It's that intimate relationship that... Uh, that someone would have with someone that is so close, like looking at each other face to face. He was with God, but not only relationally, but in essence, in form, the word was God. So he expresses his essence to us. The divinity of Jesus is something to consider in this divine declaration. And guess what? John 1, 14 says what? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as one only begotten from the Father, full of grace and in truth. Again, in John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. So we see here, that this divine declaration of the angel is telling Mary, and then by extension and by God's grace, he's telling us that this baby is unique. He's not just only truly human like anybody else that was born as a miracle baby. Maybe some of you guys are considered miracle babies. But he's not only truly human, but he's truly divine, relationally and in essence and form. And as if that wasn't enough, 
as if saying he will be the greatest and he will be the one that would express who God, the invisible God, the God who was spirit to us, both relationally and in essence, so that we can behold him, as if that's not enough. The angel says, he will also be sovereign. He will be great, verse 32. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. I mean, no other child is born with an inherent right to, to, to be sovereign. To have dominion and to, to control and to rule over lives of others. Nobody that is ever born has actual divine right to be king. Or to rule over others, to be sovereign. I mean, that's why we see nations rise up against nations. That's why we, we see, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, democracy is better than, you know, the, the way that they do it in England. Nobody is born inherently. I mean, we can, we can assign those. We can say, hey, you know what? You, you were born of this family who was rich and influential in this, in this society, and, and therefore we want to make you king. We can say that. And then whoever is their kid can then inherit the kingdom from them. But that's man-made. That's not inherent in their creation. That's not in their DNA to be born rulers or sovereign or kings. But here we see that Jesus, this truly human and truly divine, baby, who is being proclaimed by this angel to his soon-to-be mother, is granted a throne. Who has an eternal throne? Who can sit on the throne and rule? Who has an inherent sovereignty over everybody? Who rules this entire universe? But the Most High. The throne that has been given or that is only due to the Most High is granted to Jesus. It's been given to Him. It's, it's, it's what it says. The Lord God will give Him the throne. He has an inherent authority to reign and rule over His people. This inherent authority that is reserved only to the Lord God is going to be in Jesus. He has this unlimited eternal kingdom. There will be no end of His kingdom. Who is eternal but God? Who is eternal but the divine? And this baby that Mary is 
to have as a virgin is going to have this throne, this reign, and this kingdom all held by the divine, all due to the divine, all reserved only to the divine. What does that tell us about this baby? Is he a regular baby? Just truly human? Because we hear this argument from people, right? I mean, people would say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was, he, I, I, I love what he taught about morality, about give and love and those things. Uh, you know, he's, but he's no more than just a truly human good teacher, you know, who happened to rub some people the wrong way, and then they ended up killing him. Can you hear the implication if Jesus was only human? And if Jesus wasn't divine and he just died, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we of all people, those who actually put their trust in him and his resurrection, are most to be pitied. I mean, it's because we have just believed for no reason. But the certainty and the evidence and the truth is that he was not just human. We see this in this divine declaration. He was divine. He had as a throne due only to the Most High. He reigns over his people and his kingdom has no end. He's eternal. And the eternal can never die. Do you see that Jesus being truly divine and him being proclaimed as being truly divine before he even came into this world? Do you see the implication that it has on your salvation? I mean, this is not just a new teaching that we started in the New Testament as we know it now. Daniel 7, 3, 13 to 14 says this. As Daniel is, is, is taken up and he's seeing this vision, Daniel 7, 13 to 14, I kept looking, he says, in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, who is truly human, was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before him. That's another name for the Most High. That's another name for the Divine. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is everlasting, an everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I mean, this is a, 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 a prophecy that was written hundreds of years prior to the angel visiting this obscure, what was the word I used last week? Mid-town. Right? In Galilee called Nazareth, which no one ever thought that anything, it's just basic. A, a lady who's living, a young lady at that, who's living just a basic life, and the divine intrusion comes in and tells us this thing that was written hundreds of years ago is now coming to pass. And this baby that's going to be born of 
of this virgin, Mary, is not only going to be truly human, but truly divine. In this divine declaration, the angel uses three words that describe the same reality. Throne, reign, kingdom. What does that describe? If you heard a throne, and from the throne, who sits on the throne? A king. What does a king do? He reigns. What does a king reign over his kingdom? All three words really express the same reality. That Jesus, the truly human baby who was born to the Virgin Mary, is not just truly human, but also truly divine. He sits on a divinely granted throne, reigning forever in his eternal kingdom. So you can be certain. Remember where we started. The reason why we're considering this is so that you can actually know the reason for your certainty, why you celebrate Christmas as we're reclaiming Christmas and taking it back from what the world is telling us constantly about what Christmas is. You can be certain that in His humanity, Jesus has come and has been born to save sinful humans. If Jesus didn't come as truly human, what happens to your human failures? What happens to your human shortcomings? What happened to your human sinful nature? This has implications on how you live your life. I said we'll talk about it later, and this is later now. The humanity of Jesus has implication on how you live your life with freedom from the penalty of sin. Because Jesus came into this world as a human, He took on all of your humanity and all of your sin and your, your shortcomings, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God, Right, We know this. This is a memory verse from Sunday school for most of us. If not, this is what the reality is. You know, what do we do when we lie to one another? When we, when we don't put, when we don't love our neighbor? You know, I'm only human. That's the card we pull. And had Jesus not been truly human, you wouldn't have the freedom to live your life. Because in his humanity, he was tempted like you are tempted. He suffered like you suffered. He even grew up the way that you grew up, learning new things as a human would. Learning a language, learning a culture, learning how to read and write. As a human, going through the same experiences that you go through. Hunger, thirst, happiness, sadness, all the emotions. As a human, he did that. So that whatever the penalty was for humanity's shortcomings, he as a human can take that on himself. 
So you don't have to go around in self-condemnation because the truly human Savior has saved you. And you can live your life with freedom from the penalty of sin. Because the truly human Savior, the baby boy who was born and who was conceived in the womb and was given a name Jesus. By the way, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, God saves. Or salvation is from God. That's what it means. This truly human Savior has given you freedom in life and freedom from sin, from its penalty. Not from its presence yet, but from the penalty and the consequence of sin. He has saved you. And you can live in freedom from that, friends. Like, I don't have to worry about paying for my sins because the truly human Savior has done that for me. Do you know what that means? Do you know how freeing that is? That you don't have to pay for the lie that you, t- you tell in another 25 minutes? If you do tell lies? If that's what you're struggling with? You don't have to pay for the penalty as a human to the temptation that you would fall. And watch something that you're not supposed to watch. You don't have to pay the penalty. Here's, a, here's, here's one we oversee for most of you that are younger. You don't have to pay the penalty as a human for disobeying your parents and dishonoring your parents. By the way, praise God that you don't live in ancient Israel. Because once you disobeyed your parents, you know what they did? What, what the prescribed punishment was for those who cursed? or in dishonor the, the, the father and their mother, you take them out, outside of the city, and you stone them to death. That's an example for all the other kids. Don't dishonor your parents. But also, it's not for that sin to fester and then say, I don't, I don't believe in the authority of my parents, therefore I don't believe in the authority of God. It's not, a, it's not that much of a stretch. But guess what? The truly human Jesus has paid for that. And you can live knowing in freedom. That doesn't mean that you go out and, and sin. By no means, that's, that's what it means. But you can actually live freely because of the humanity of Jesus who came to save sinful humans. And in His divinity, He has come and He has been born to rule and to exercise authority that is rightfully His. Not only then, but now and forevermore. He has come and He has been born to exercise authority over your life. Because He knows better. Because it's rightfully His. Because He has bought you with a price. He gave His life and bought your life for it. And in His divinity, He would rule and exercise authority in a divine way, in, in, in a way 
that is rightfully his. And this also has an implication on how you live your life under submission to his will. How should you live your life? Should you live your life because, oh, in his humanity, I'm free. He's saved me. You know, I'm human and he was human. So he has taken all my human sins and then now I can go live freely. No, that's not what it means. That's why his humanity and his divinity are so tied together that it is not even like, it's, it's like a matter of verses. And within the same declaration, we see both his truly human nature and truly divine nature. Because in truly human, he will save you. But as truly divine, he will demand your submission to his will. Jesus is not just Savior, but Jesus is Lord over your life. And you are to live your life under submission to his will because he is divine. Not under your own will because you're truly human and that's where it ends. The buck doesn't stop with you. It goes above you and above me and above any other human authority. So he pulls the divine card and it has implications. And you can be certain, friends, that Jesus was truly human and truly divine. By seeing in his word how he was promised to be born. And by seeing in your own lives and how you live your life of faith. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you have given us a time as such to consider this divine declaration of your will, to condescend and to leave your throne in heaven and come and be born of a virgin in a manger, to be truly human. without actually leaving your divinity behind. So we know that this is the humble Savior whom we serve, who saves us and is the Lord of our lives. So Lord, give us your spirit. Give us a heart to embrace your salvation and faith and repentance, but also your lordship and honor and submission to your will. Lord, we cannot do this outside of your own power that you give by your spirit. So we ask you that you would do this in us and for us so that your name can be glorified and the name of Jesus Christ can be honored. Lord, thank you for what you have prepared before us. Lead us into even more worship as we prepare our hearts for your table. We ask you these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.